0: I saw another one of those articles this week that we've become accustomed to over the last several years, Uh, a dire warning for our planet. And this one was, uh, many of you may have seen it. I saw the headline come across a lot of newspapers and Facebook page and social media where 11,000 scientists published a warning about the coming global climate disaster. I'm used to reading those and to seeing those kind of articles. Here's what spoke to me really out of this article one of the subheadings this week as I had uh, seen that article come across was this quote scientists have a moral obligation to clearly warn humanity of any catastrophic threat and to tell it like it is when I read that I thought if scientists have a moral obligation to warn of any coming threat and tell it like it is how much more does the church of Jesus Christ have a moral obligation to tell it like it is to give a warning to those who don't know him as Savior to those who are living in their sin who are lost and dying separated from God headed for an eternity in hell How much more do we have the obligation to tell it like it is? And yet when we tell it like it is, people get offended. This week, I'm going to be, today I'm going to be talking about believer's baptism. I have decided as we get ready to to move toward the Christmas season, uh, we finished the revival series and then walked through our revival with Dr. Day and Dr. Queen this last week and uh, I believe the Lord really encouraged me and spoke to me, and I hope he did to many of y'all. I've woken up most every morning with the song on my heart and in my head, Every Praise. Tried to get Matthew, Susan, and Wendy to do it on their own today, but uh, you know they just weren't up for it. I am a little disappointed that Dr. Day did not teach our church the choreography to that song if you go out and look at that song on YouTube uh, there's a flash mob video of Hezekiah Walker leading worship uh, out in the middle of the streets I believe in Birmingham Alabama to that song and so once I found that I just can't stop listening to it Uh, we have a responsibility As God's people to tell it like it is what I'm going to do this week is we're going to look at baptism next week. We're going to look at the other church ordinance, uh, the Lord's Supper. I'm going to teach on it and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And then the third week before we get into the Christmas season, we're going to be looking at, uh, missions and why we come together as baptist churches to be involved in mission work so and doing things a little bit different over the next few weeks and i hope it would it'll be informative uh to to everybody today we're just going to simply look at what scripture says about baptism it's in the core uh, uh, of who we are and in fact and our name is Wataga First Baptist. Well, why do we call ourselves Baptists? Uh, why is it important to us? Why is it important in Scripture? There's a lot of confusion over baptism that has come out of church practice over the years. And so what I always want to do is just go back to what does Scripture say. Because you know what? It doesn't matter what denomination uh, you come from. We all have a habit of getting in our routines. And once we get in a routine, sometimes our routines lose their meaning and we lose sight of really what it's all about. And so uh, we're going to look. Now, the struggle with this is there's not a particular passage that just teaches specifically on baptism. Uh, I considered teaching from Jesus' baptism. Uh, Dr. Queen looked at that with us a little bit last week. I've considered looking at Romans chapter 6, uh, which is kind of a theological look at baptism. But instead, we're going to be looking at a passage that actually Kevin preached from about a month and a half ago from Acts chapter 2, where baptism really was implemented in the early church at the beginning of the launch of the church in Acts chapter 2 so we're gonna look at verses 36 down through verse 41 and we're just gonna come kind of mind that a little bit and see what baptism is and what it's all about so if you want to turn with me there you can otherwise it's gonna be up on your screen the scripture says uh, this is at the end of Peter's sermon now Peter has preached a very direct sermon telling it like it is and he's talked to the Jewish people there in Jerusalem about how uh, what what jesus had come to do how god had had come in christ and how how jesus fulfilled his mission and his ministry and then he ends his sermon with this sentence therefore in verse 36 let all the house of israel know with certainty that god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and messiah so jesus uh, Peter doesn't pull any punches. He says, in light of all that I've just taught you, pointing back to the Old Testament, God the Father has made this Jesus, and in case you have any questions, which one I'm talking about is the one that you crucified. He has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. When he said that, the Holy Spirit pricked the heart of those who were listening. And and, and they were... You just hear in their reply this sense of, oh, my gosh, what have we done? This, this brokenness. And so verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So, Peter gives a direct command here. You know, when they say, uh, oh my gosh, they, they recognized what they had done. They identified themselves as those whose sin had caused the death of Christ. Now, none of those people in that, that congregation that, that were hearing Peter's message. Uh, Probably were the ones who actually drove the nails into Jesus' wrist. I doubt any of those people in that congregation were actually the ones who took a spear and, and thrust it into Jesus' side. And yet they identified, just like we identify, with those who caused the death of Christ because of our sin. It was because you and I sinned against a holy God that He sent His Son to die on our behalf on the cross. And so, as they identified with that, the scripture says they were pierced. To the heart, and they cried out to 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 Peter and the rest of the apostles, "What should we do?" Jesus, or, or Peter, the first thing he says is, "Repent." Now, I want to walk through uh, this this sermon basically by answering three major questions. We'll have some minor questions that pop up uh, underneath these, but three major questions is how I've divided things. So, the first major question is, "Who should be baptized?" who is it that should be baptized first and foremost every born-again believer in Jesus Christ every person who has repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Christ should be baptized now that does not mean that every person That ever comes to church should be baptized (laughs) one of the things that happened in the in the early church was they so tied baptism with Christianity that in about the the third or the fourth and fifth century when the uh, the Christianity became the the law of the land so to speak the rulers began to force their armies to be baptized so that God would be on their side to the point where they literally would have priests would dip palm branches in water that they'd prayed over and they would march the armies down the street and they would, they would shake the palm leaves over them and say, now you're a Christian. The only problem with that is in the New Testament, those who were baptized into the church, into the body of Christ, were only those who had repented of their sins. They were those who had truly put their faith and trust in Christ and repented of their sins. So those, every person who is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ should be baptized. The second part of that that answer then is what is the requirements for baptism? Is it just belief? Well, it's, it's actually a little bit more than that, but it begins with belief. First and foremost, we must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You know, we live in a culture now that is so uh, separated from any, even the belief that there is a God that you have to begin there. You've got to believe that there is a God. You have to believe that, that not only is there a God, that, but then you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so it begins with belief. There's no use in being baptized if there's no belief in a God who has created us and sent his sin to die for. Second is we profess Christ's Lordship. And so that means that not only do I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to profess that Jesus is Lord. In the New Testament, only those who had professed Christ as Lord were baptized and became a part of the body of believers. So Peter tells them here repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So, third is there has to be a recognition of our sin and a confession of our sin. So you, 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 you're not, you can't be baptized for forgiveness of your sins if you don't believe you're a sinner. And so it requires not only belief, it requires a, a profession that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Messiah. He's the one whom God sent to die for my sins. And then it, it requires a confession that I have sinned and that I am a sinner in need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And then fourth is Repentance. Don't miss out on that, because it's more than just belief. It's more than just confession. But Peter said, "Repent and be baptized." So that requires not only that we have believed, because our hearts been pierced by the word of God, and we have professed and we have confessed, but we are willing to turn away from our sin and turn toward Christ and follow Him. That's what it means to be a born again believer in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning point. Now, once you do that, you have become a believer. You, have, you, you are the a child of God. You're a b- born-again believer in Christ, and baptism should immediately follow. Now there's a doctrinal question that often arises here that, that people really get confused over, and it, it, it's it's difficult to work through because there's such a close tie. The question is this does that mean that for someone to truly be born again they've they have to be baptized to be born again I say very clearly the scripture says no belief in Jesus Christ and becoming a born-again believer in Christ comes only by faith in Christ you come to a point where you put your faith your trust in Christ you have surrendered your life to him you have professed him as Lord you have repented of your sin you turn toward him you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You are not saved by belief and faith plus baptism. You are saved by faith alone. You are saved by God's grace through faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we at that moment become one of his children. One of the easiest and, and clearly most clearly defined pictures of that is the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, when he put his future in the in the Lord's hands and said Lord remember me when you go into to enter into your kingdom the Lord said today you will be with me in paradise the thief was never baptized I had a professor and I've used this example many times before dr. Jack McGorman at, at Southwestern who would say anything that you add as a requirement to simple faith in Christ anything that you add Any type of physical response that you have to have, whether that be circumcision, as the Galatians are struggling with, or baptism, as we hear sometimes in our day, or any other thing that you must do is is akin to saying, Jesus, your death on the cross was necessary, but it's not enough. See, Jesus' death on the cross was necessary for our salvation, but it was also enough. Well then why make a big deal out of baptism because here's the next step (laughs) Christ commanded it It, it's how we identify with him it's how we we show the world in fact in the early church there weren't any aisles to walk down ultimately how was it that someone showed that they truly were a believer in Jesus Christ they showed it by baptism they showed it by physically showing given this picture that they had died with Christ they were washed by his blood and they were resurrected in new life and so ultimately baptism because it is commanded by Christ is the first step of obedience for a believer in Jesus Christ it, we have professed we have confessed we have repented and we are now his child and if he truly is our lord we're going to do what He's called us to do. I have seen adults, and I could I could name off several in, in my ministry. The the first one was very early in my ministry. I remember sitting down with a lady uh, on her uh, landing at an apartment complex and and sharing the gospel with her and. and she said that well I've done all of that I well you know you ask her the diagnostic questions that that you learn in evangelism explosion well uh, you know well if you were to stand before God and and he asked you why should I let you into my heaven how would you respond and she said well because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus he's the only way to heaven and I'm fully trusting him for my eternal life but but her life had zero no evidence whatsoever there was no growth. It was like she was stunted right there. She, she was a baby Christian who believed in Jesus but had never gone beyond that. And so as we begin to dig in and begin to ask questions, what I found out was she had put her trust in Christ. And I believe she truly was born again, but she had never been baptized because nobody told her that that was the step of obedience. And so she never got connected to a church body nobody told her to get baptized and so she never took that first step of obedience to jesus well if you don't take the first step you get stymied and you can't take your second and third and fourth step there's another side to that there's some people who say well pastor i'm just embarrassed i i I don't want to be baptized and ultimately what you do when you say that is uh, well i'm going to say that jesus is lord but i'm not going to let him be lord And I have a real struggle with that because if you profess that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords He is lord of my life and he clearly says Be baptized and follow me and you say ain't gonna do it I'd have to suggest that he's not really lord And you haven't truly repented Because you're still full of pride and you're obstinate and you're unwilling to be obedient to the to the command of christ if you're unwilling to obey him in that first command then he's not truly your Lord and so for those who for some reason cannot be baptized or you know a lady who I, I shared the gospel with on her deathbed and she passed away a couple days later before she ever got out of the hospital I have absolute full confidence that she is in the presence of the Lord right now but those whom I have shared the gospel with and said a prayer but we're never willing to be baptized. I have to wonder if they've ever truly professed Christ as Lord. Because you cannot say you're Lord and be absolutely, obstinately against doing what He's called you to do. If there's no fruit, there's no evidence, and no obedience in your life, then I'm going to suggest that you're not really a believer. You're not really a follower of Jesus Christ. So, who should be baptized? Any born again believer in Christ. The requirements for baptism are belief, profession, confession, and repentance. So, what if and I get this as a pastor a lot, what if I was already baptized before I came to faith? What if I was baptized as a baby? There's some of you in the the congregation who've had this conversation with me. What if I was baptized in another faith tradition and I was baptized as a baby, should I be baptized again? Absolutely yes. Because if you were baptized as a baby, you would have to tell me that well, I would ask you the question. When you were six weeks old or whenever you were baptized as a baby, did you believe in Jesus at that point? Well, didn't he know who he was? Had you repented of your sin? <laughs> you, you hadn't sinned yet. You didn't know what sin was. You were born in sin, but you didn't understand that. Had you confessed your sin? Had you repented of your sin? Had you committed your life to follow Christ as your Lord? No, because a baby can't do that. Nowhere in Scripture. Do we see anybody baptized before they made a conscious decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior? So, yes, if you come to a point in life where you're willing to, on your own, not dependent upon your... See, an infant baptism is simply an expression of the parent's faith, not of your faith... If you come to a point in life where you accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord then certainly at that point Scripture would say you've repented be baptized and follow Christ it it gets stickier sometimes because what if I was six years old and I walked down an aisle because my brother walked down an aisle and the revival was going on and that's what we all did (laughs) And, and I got caught up in the moment but I have come to understand that I never truly new Christ I never truly repented of my sins I would suggest once again if you were baptized at any point before you were converted before you put your trust in Christ and became a child of God you should be baptized as a expression a profession of your faith today of where you are in your walk with the Lord so absolutely who should be baptized every born-again believer in Jesus Christ once they are born again then you're baptized as an expression of what Christ has done in your life this passage was very clear when they heard this they were pierced to the heart and they asked that question and Peter said repent and then be baptized in the name of Christ for forgiveness of your sins and then down in verse 41 they did exactly that those who accepted his message were baptized was everybody baptized nope only those who accepted the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ they were the ones who were baptized you know when I I have this vivid memory. Some of y'all, you know, you have these memories from your, when you're growing up and some of them really stick with you because they're sweet memories. Some of them stick with you because they're traumatic memories. This one is somewhere in between. We were fishing uh, during the, the, the run of white bass, which is always early spring, late winter. And down on Lake Travis in Austin, it'd be late February usually until March, sometimes into early April. So the water is still cold. Now, we were uh, spending the day fishing we're getting toward the end of that day and my brother uh, we were probably about eight or nine years old and my brother just kept mouthing and mouthing and mouthing dad finally told him Bobby if you don't shut up I'm gonna throw you in the lake well Bobby didn't shut up and he got thrown in Lake Travis here's my memory of that dad throws him over the side of the boat Bobby could swim of course it's still cold it's still winter so he had blue jeans on he had he had shirts his shoes were still on. He goes into the water. When he comes back up out of the water, he he yells out, "You got my socks wet!" <laughs> I want to tell you a whole lot more than his socks got wet. I understand that because there's nothing worse than having to walk around with wet socks, right? So he—that's what he was most upset about. You got my socks wet. Now at that point, Bobby was fully immersed in the lake, but was he baptized? no not according to the New Testament so there may have been some point in your life where you got dunked by a preacher but you haven't been baptized obediently according to the New Testament until you put your faith and trust in Christ and followed that with an expression of your faith through baptism some of us just got wet when we were kids The second question that I want to answer here, the second big question is, well, what is baptism? And and this, I've just kind of alluded to that. That last uh, question ran into that because in Christian tradition now, there are a lot of different modes or methods of baptism. Now, some of those methods were developed out of convenience, for reasons of convenience. Uh, One of the the denominational traditions, of uh, one of the large denominations is they give the candidate the option. If you want to be immersed, you can be immersed. If you want to have water sprinkled on you, you can have it sprinkled on you. If you want to have it poured on you, you can have it poured on you. Uh, and so uh, that, tr- that tradition gives that various options. But what is baptism in Scripture? In the New Testament, the word that's used for baptism almost exclusively is the word uh, baptizo. Now, there's various... Uh, cognates of this or expressions of this but the word is baptizo and the word literally means to immerse or to wash in every case and you see that work itself out in scripture in various ways Uh, in one passage it says john the baptist was baptizing in a certain location because there was enough water there If John the Baptist was only sprinkling a little bit of water on people's head, it would not matter how much water was in the river at that location. The word baptizo means to immerse. Now, it actually derives from another word that I've got up here, babto, which is, it looks like a shortened version of it, but it's kind of a root version of it. That word, in almost in every case, Is used to to signify to dip something in that word appears in the Lord's Supper when uh, uh, Jesus says that he dipped the bread into the cup of wine he actually took a piece of bread dipped it into the wine another place it appears is in Revelation when the scripture says it describes Jesus as wearing this robe that was dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God Babto means to dip or to immerse. And in fact, in secular use, the primary use of that word babto was to use for dyeing cloth. So when you dyed clothing, you don't dye clothing by sprinkling it with some dye. You dye clothing by completely immersing it in a vat of water. And so the bottom line is the word means to immerse something or in the terms of believers, to be immersed. Completely underwater. Well, why does that matter? Well, to me, it matters because that's what the word means. Now, let me give you a short history lesson, and this is an oversimplification of this history lesson. But essentially, the church began to develop some traditions, especially in the you know, early Roman Catholic traditions of the church, of no longer immersing people fully in water, but sprinkling them with water in a ceremonial way, especially when they implemented the baptism of infants, to just simply sprinkle them with water, place a little bit of water on their head. And and baptism became a ceremonial expression that no longer required full immersion in water. And that rocked on for a thousand years. That was the primary mode of baptism within the church. Now, it wasn't the only mode. You had some purists that still insisted on immersion. But when the Bible was translated into English, one of the questions that I would have is if the word means to immerse, why don't we just say, call him John the Immerser, and talk about how Jesus was immersed in the Jordan River? Well, the problem was that not only had the Catholic Church held onto that tradition all that year, but the, all those years, but the Church of England at that time was baptizing in a mode other than immersion. So if you translate the word "baptize" to the true meaning when you put it over in English, that creates a problem for the church, doesn't it? If the word says, "Repent and be immersed." All of your congregation that can now read the Bible, you remember for the printing press, most the local, you know, the the, the regular everyday congregational person could not read scripture. The Bible was reserved for the scholars and the priests. Well, if everybody picks up a Bible and they start reading repent and be immersed, wait a minute. I wasn't immersed, I was only sprinkled. It's gonna create a problem. So what do you do if you're a translator and you don't want to create that problem for the church? You make up a new English word so instead of translating the word repent and be immersed we do what's called a transliteration we just put English letters English sounds to the Greek word so the Greek word is baptizo we're just gonna make up a word and say repent and be baptized nobody knows what that means anyway they're gonna identify it with their sprinkling and so now what's happened is we've got a whole new word that's been made up so that we don't upset a whole bunch of people that we've been doing it wrong for the last thousand years. So during the, the Reformation period, when Martin Luther began to separate himself uh, actually, he didn't separate himself from the Catholic Church He was trying to reform the Catholic Church when he began to try to reform the Catholic Church at the same time The Bible was being printed in the everyday language people began to study it for themselves and started going wait a minute first of all This word doesn't say to have some water sprinkled on you. It says to be immersed second of all it says that you should only Be immersed be baptized once you're a born-again believer So you had a group of men that met together, and the first guy that began to teach this principle said, Hey, I need to be baptized. I need one of you to baptize me. So one of those baptized him, and then he baptized all the rest of them, and they began a movement that others in the community made fun of them. They made up a word called Anabaptist, those who were rebaptized or baptized again. But the reason that they went down that road, and in fact, many of those guys ended up losing their lives for that belief, because it was going against the church of the day. Some of the leaders of that of that movement ended up being tied up in chains and thrown over into the river, and said, "Look, you want to be baptized again? We'll baptize you a third time," and tied them up in chains and threw them in the bottom of the river and drowned them because of their belief. But ultimately, they they were willing to give up their lives for that because they wanted to be committed to what the word of God said and not what church tradition taught them. So what is baptism? Baptism is the immersion of a born-again believer in water. That's what baptism truly is in the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament do you have someone that's not born-again being baptized an infant being baptized, or do you have any other mode of baptism other than immersion? So then the third big question. Why should believers be baptized? Who should be baptized? What is baptism? Why should they be baptized? I'm gonna give you the first very straightforward answer because Jesus said so. (laughs) We're commanded by Christ. Christ, even though some of the very last words to his disciples before he ascended to the Father in heaven was, Go ye therefore unto all nations, making disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I've commanded you. Jesus commanded baptism. And if we profess Christ as Lord and yet refuse to do the first simple thing that he commanded us to do and we're walking in disobedience to the one who we say is our lord so why should we be baptized because jesus said so second I, we should be baptized because it signifies something that's happened inside of us we have been made new creatures in christ and and, and there's a deep theological connection to christ death burial, and resurrection into the imagery of a believer who has confessed Christ, professed their sin, died to their sin, and be raised again. Romans chapter 6 is one of those passages where you see this theological connection. Paul writes in in verse 1, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace can multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now hear these words in verse 3. Or are you unaware that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we certainly also will be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so you see that a couple things in this passage from the Apostle Paul. The first, Paul never teaches his church on baptism because when he writes to the churches, he already assumes that those who are believers in Jesus Christ have been baptized by immersion. And he illustrates it in such a way that he assumes that they have been baptized as believers by full immersion. As though they were buried in Christ and they were raised again just as Jesus was rose up out of the grave. So because we are made new creatures in Christ, when we follow him obediently in baptism, we identify with him in that in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then third, and that's part of that connection, but the third, I would say, is that through baptism, we are connected with Christ. We we identify with Christ. First and foremost, we identify with what he did Dr. Queen read that passage of Jesus' baptism last week. And and you'll remember Jesus came to John the Baptist and Jesus said, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. And John said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not worthy to tie your sandals. Let me, uh, you baptize me. And Jesus said, no, because out of obedience to my father. I need you to baptize me so John the Baptist baptized Christ and when he did you see this great imagery Jesus going on the water when he comes up out of the water the Holy Spirit is seen by some descending upon Jesus it says as a dove and the Holy and the father spoke from above and said this is my son in whom I'm well pleased at the baptism of Christ he began his ministry and began to walk in a relationship with his father in a new way we when we are baptized, we identify ourselves as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And so we are connected with him, not just to his death, but also to his burial and his resurrection. And so baptism ultimately is not a requirement for salvation, but it absolutely is a requirement for obedience for a believer who has put their trust and faith in Christ. There's no other option. There's no other choices. I wear wedding rings as a part of the tradition in our culture that shows that I am connected to Susan and that I'm married to her. If I take that wedding ring, I can't even get it off. It's been on there so long. Uh, I'd have to lick it and, you know, put, I'm not going to do that up here on the pulpit. I could get it off if I had to. If I took the wedding ring off, I'm still her husband. It doesn't make me any less her husband. In fact, you can still see it because I've got a tan line there. But it doesn't make me any less her husband. If you're a born again believer who has professed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and for some reason you never were baptized, it does not mean that you're not saved, but it does mean that you're not walking in obedience to Christ. I would suggest, though, if you're obstinate and you say, I'm just not going to do what the Lord wants me to do, then you better re examine your salvation. You better re examine whether or not you're truly born again. I started a story earlier one of the things that that I have learned and I've seen it over and over with adults in particular is adults who had professed Christ and never taken that step of obedience once they take that step it's like the whole world becomes new Uh, one man in particular I I believe that it's some way on some deep level he was he believed Jesus and he was trusting in Christ but there's something about As a man in his his younger 30s, when he went under the water and came back up, his countenance changed completely. He had been disobedient for years. And once he came back up out of the water, the Lord did a work in him. And part of it is just, it may be this simple thing. The Lord's given us a couple things that we can hold on to because we as humans need them. You know what the god who created me knows that i need to look back and when, when satan begins to whisper in my ear and say you're not really worthy you're not really a believer you're not really a christian look at what you're doing look at your sin look at all the stuff in your life you're not really putting your trust in christ i can look back to that baptism and say no i made a decision that day to follow jesus sometimes we need that stake driven in the ground, and the Lord knows it. And so he's given us a couple things to help us do that and to physically grab a hold of a couple things. One is baptism at the beginning. The other is that we continually remember his death, burial, and resurrection through the Lord's Supper. And we'll talk about that next week. We're going to have an opportunity for you to respond in just a moment. And I recognize that this was not just necessarily a blatant message to draw you to salvation. But the truth is here, if you have never put your faith in Christ and accepted him as your Lord and Savior and followed him in baptism, you need to do that. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to be down front and Kevin's going to be up here and we'd love to pray with you. If you have more questions about baptism, I'd be glad to answer any of the questions you have. Kevin would too. In fact, we have some counselors if you need extended time to talk about it. But if you have never followed Christ obediently in baptism, I, I would plead with you to make the decision to do that today, to follow him. What are the requirements of baptism? You don't have to understand all the theology. You don't have to have it all figured out. The requirements is you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You believe that you're a sinner. You confess your sin, and you repent and follow him. That's the requirements. God will take it from there. He'll help you begin to grow in your faith. You'll come to know him better after that. But if you've never expressed publicly your faith in Christ through believer's baptism, I'd encourage you to get that straight. And it may very well be that you'd say, well, pastor, you know, I was baptized as an infant. But I've never followed through once I put my trust in Christ. If that's where you are, I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's stand with me. Let me lead us in word of prayer as Matthew comes. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you just for the ability to, to, to look into the New Testament and, and understand what the word baptism means. That word, because the way it was created, the historical context of it, has created a lot of confusion for a lot of folks for centuries. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has any questions, maybe they've never put their faith in you and followed you in baptism, that today would be the day they'd make the decision to follow you. Maybe, Lord, they prayed a prayer a long time ago to confess their sin, but they never followed through in obedience to baptism, and they need to start right there. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move today in the hearts of those that you're drawing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.